Yeah. So one thing when I was growing up, I grew up in a family where my father is a pastor and my grandmother, as in my mom's mom, well, let's just say that she learned to speak by talking to a bunch of sailors. And so as I was growing up, my parents were really worried that I would do something that would ultimately embarrass me and them in public. So they devised this brilliant plan. They would tell me that there was one word in the English language that was so vile, so disgusting, that if they ever heard me say this word out loud, they would march me directly to the bathroom and wash my mouth out with soap. Absolutely. In fact, there is a story that when I was about three or four that I got really angry and ran into the bathroom and locked myself in and yelled this most vile of all words. It was the S word snickerdoodles. And apparently, little four-year-old Chris was standing looking in the mirror going, snickerdoodle, snickerdoodle, snickerdoodle. And if my parents had been able to stop laughing, <laughs> they might have gotten the soap out. Now, this, this plan seemed to be pretty good until my dad started pastoring at a little, small Southern Baptist church just north of Springfield when I was about six. And they decided to welcome us to the church with a big potluck. After the meal, we sat down and we were enjoying our food. And this little old lady named Ethel came up behind us. She put her right hand on our shoulder and extended her left hand with a giant plate of homemade cookies. Would you like a snickerdoodle? She said, innocently. I turned bright white, <laughs> and for the first and maybe last time in my life, I was completely speechless. This kind gesture that she had offered to us had absolutely shaken a story that my parents had told me to my core, and I didn't know what to do with it. You know, it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? The stories that we tell ourselves or the stories that we are told that we embrace deep inside of us. You know, some of these stories are really good, right? Like, you're good, <laughs> or you're beautiful, or you're strong, or you're amazing, or you can do it. Some of these stories are kind of random, <laughs> right? Like, the story about snickerdoodles. And unfortunately, some of the stories that we get told and that we embrace deep inside of us are not good. Some of the stories where we are told that we just can't do something because of things that the society has put on us or the burdens that they keep saying, you can't do this, you're not good enough. And sometimes those stories are so tragically deep within us. This week, we are going to be celebrating International Women's Day. It happens to be on March 8th, which is also my sister's birthday, so I hope maybe she gets a snickerdoodle for her birthday. 
But this year's theme for International Women's Day is embrace equity. It's this notion that we need to embrace this story. It's my hope for us that we can figure out a way to embrace this story so deeply within us, this story of equity, that when anyone comes along, even as innocently as possible, and says something counter to equity, that it shakes us, that it makes us say, look, I have embraced this story of equity in me when it comes to those who have often been marginalized. But before we can truly embrace equity, it's probably important that we know what it is. And so we're going to take just a couple of minutes, and I'd like you to see this video that was put together and put out by the International Women's Day website uh, that I think does a really good job of explaining exactly what equity is. Take a look at this. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, when it comes to the society that we live in, we don't embrace equity a lot. We have this system, this world that we are often in that has long taught us, with, with maybe even good intentions, right, that it's all about looking out for yourself. It's all about uh, making sure to take care of number one. Pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, right? But sometimes we forget that it's really hard to pull yourself up by your bootstraps if you don't have boots to begin with. The good news is, and this is where we're going to spend the vast majority of this morning talking, is that this sort of equity, this story of equity that we want to embrace here is something that is part of our tradition, not only here at the venues, but it's part of the story of the Bible. It's part of what I believe is part of the Hebrew and Christian faith. And that's not to say that we've always gotten it right. By far, we have not. But there is something that I believe that if we can dig down just a little bit inside of us, we can find that this story of embracing equity resonates with who we are as people, deep down. So today we're going to look at just a little bit of a story from the book of Acts, which is in the Christian Bible. Uh, it's in chapter 2, and I think that the context of this and the story of it is something that can help us as we both embrace equity and then try to figure out what it looks like to live in that way, all right? So today we're going to be looking at this story that starts in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, and it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, just to make sure that we all have the same setting for this story, uh, the book of Acts is often considered the story of how the church began. And I don't mean just like the venues, but I mean, how did church get started? It, it's sort of like, if you look at Acts, it's sort of like how a couple of weeks ago, Eric put together the documentary that showed the first 10 years here at the venues, which was incredible. If you haven't had a chance to look at that, please make sure you do. But it kind of talked about the history and how at the time, as the church was first getting started, people were making decisions like, let's sell everything that we have and let's make sure that the poor are taken care of. And what happened then early in the story is it says that they were together celebrating this thing called the day of Pentecost. I don't know if you know what that word means or not. You may or may not, and that's perfectly fine. If you grew up, especially here in Springfield, and have heard the word Pentecost, 
Uh, you probably associate it with a specific Christian denomination, with a specific grouping of people who are followers of Jesus. And because one of the largest groups within the Pentecostal tradition is the Assemblies of God, which has its international headquarters here in Springfield. So you've probably heard or thought about this word before, maybe. And the thing is, though, that the churches that do that typically focus a lot here in Acts chapter 2 and some of the things that were going on. But at the time when this story was happening, the notion of the day of Pentecost wasn't thinking about the year 2023. It was thinking about something that had happened in the past. And so what they were actually there to get together to celebrate is something that in the Hebrew scriptures would have been called the Feast of Weeks. It was this gathering time that they would get together after seven weeks of harvest, and they would share the bounty that the earth had produced. They would do a lot of different things, and they would uh, share the things the people would share stories. They would sing some songs. They would have a big meal. Uh, the children, the, the tradition goes that the children would even share like parts of their scripture that they had memorized. And the word Pentecost, actually, if you kind of look at it, it, it means basically seven weeks, like 49 days. Like Pentecost kind of looks like 50 days, 49 days. It's kind of what they were celebrating here when they would get together. And in the celebration, they would always read, they would start with reading a story out of what we now call the Old Testament. The tradition is that the story that they would read and the, probably what they would have read that day would have been a story out of the Old Testament called Ruth. And this story, I think, is really important for us today. Because what this story is, it's the story about this young woman whose husband died and her, uh, her mother-in-law's husband died as well. And so they moved from the country where they were living as refugees to another country. And what Ruth did is she decided to take care of her mother-in-law by going to work as a field worker. She would go around after people had been harvesting and she would kind of go around the margins of the fields and collect the leftover wheats and the leftover food so that her and her family could eat. Ruth caught the eye of the landowner, a man by the name of Boaz. And the story goes that as she was doing this, a declaration then went out that it was important to make sure that the landowner didn't collect all of the food, but they made sure to leave plenty on the margins to take care of literally the marginalized. They were to be taking care instead of making sure that it was all about number one, it was a story that centered a woman's story and said, let's make sure we take care of the marginalized. I think that's part of why telling stories here is so important, is that when we tell these stories, when we have these stories that say, let's take care of the marginalized, it helps us to center where we are in this conversation. It helps us to embrace equity. If we can see those on the margins and the things that they can bring and the things that uh, oftentimes get excluded from them because of the way society has functioned. As they were getting together, they became quite this commotion. And this is actually one of the texts that all throughout the month of March, as we're talking about March winds, that is kind of one of the thematic uh, spaces that we're looking at here. In Acts 2.2, it says this, suddenly a noise like a strong blowing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, I'll be honest, 
Uh, we don't know exactly what this was. We don't know if it was like a, an actual storm. We don't know if, uh, if it was just like they were feeling the feels or if it was a situation where the spirit came through. And part of it is because the word that is used for storm or wind is also the exact same word that is used for spirit. And so when the New Testament was written, it wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek. And the same word there is used. They were having something that happened and suddenly the whole place just was a buzz. It does indicate that when that happened, after the story that centered women's voices was told, that people that were all around there started hearing the good news of love of God's love in a language that they could understand for the first time. If you were raised Pentecostal, this is often called speaking in tongues. And they would, uh, this is where that text comes from, that people were saying words in languages maybe that they didn't even understand and that the people around them heard the story of God's love in a language that they had been excluded from for the very first time. I have to imagine it was pretty radical, honestly. As people were being like, oh, this God that created the earth and that the things put together loves me and knows me and sees me and believes in me for the first time. What I do know during this is that unfortunately, when these types of things happen and those on the margins start getting to be told about love, Society has a terrible habit of trying to re-marginalize them. So I want you to look at Acts chapter 2, verse 13, and hear what some of the religious leaders of the day said. It said, But others were making fun of them, saying, They've just had too much wine. I'll be honest, I don't know what too much wine is. <laughs> but I think it's fair to stop down on this for just a second, right? When the status quo is disrupted, people in power often push back. When those who are traditionally in power are told that the world is not equitable, that those who are on the margins deserve to hear about love, there is often a desire to hold on to the privilege that has been often given and people will do whatever they can to discredit the voices of those who are now hearing about love. As a white cis straight dude, I'll be honest, this is me sometimes. The systems of this world have been designed for people like me for people who look like me, for people who act like me. I teach at a local school. Our holiday calendar is based around people who worship like me. And I never have to worry that the government is going to change rights for a person like me, who has a marriage like me. People in privilege hold on to power. And when something comes along that challenges that system, it is natural for people 
as disgusting as it is, to push back. It's like the guy on the two boxes in the baseball game who's just like, I love being able to see right over the fence, and I don't care that you can't see at all. Father Richard Rohr says it this way, the human ego prefers anything, just about anything, to failing or changing or dying. The ego is the part of you that loves the status quo, even if it's not working. It attaches to past and present and fears the future. There is some kind of a battle for us here. It's a space between both. We, we know that internally that we want equity. We look at our friends and we're like, I hate it that society is doing this to you. And then we say, but I don't want to give up my slice of the pie as if love could be divided and you could lose it. Love can't be divided and you can't lose it. Love is for everyone. But unfortunately, it is a battle that some people lose. Just two weeks ago, the largest Christian denomination in the United States lost this battle again. Two weeks ago, the Southern Baptist Convention decided to kick out one of their largest churches out of the denomination to say, you can no longer fellowship with us. You can no longer have the same, you don't believe what we believe because they had the audacity to have a female pastor. As someone who has both of my degrees from a Southern Baptist University, this breaks me. It breaks me that somehow or another, people have lost the message of love to such a degree to hold on to this power that says somehow or another that it matters, that dogma is more important than love, and that right theology, whatever that even means, is more important than relationships. It is not full stop the end. I say this with you not to drag another church or denomination or a group of people who are trying to follow after Jesus through the dirt, but rather to say this. To those of you that have been marginalized by faith communities, you are seen here. We love you here. We want to hear your stories here. If you have not had a chance, by the way, to check out Pastor Phillips' random thoughts from the Rev this week, please do. He did a spectacular job, as he always does, but of walking through this as someone else who grew up in a Southern Baptist world and who has now seen the value of embracing love and letting love define theology instead of the other way around. But and this is the good news. The good news about this is that this is a battle where our most true selves already know where the right side is. Peter, who was one of the original followers of Jesus and who was a leader at this church that was starting off, responds to the critics. And I want you to hear what he says in Acts 2, 14 and 15. It says this, but Peter stood up with the 11 apostles and in a loud voice, he spoke to the crowd. 
My fellow Jews and all of you who are in Jerusalem, listen to me, pay attention to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you think. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Here's the thing. Strange verse. But Peter was a person of privilege. The system was designed for Peter here. He was a person that everyone else would listen to. He was a leader of the group and part of equity. And I don't just mean gender equity or racial equity or economic equity. It's all of the above. Part of equity is making sure that those of us with extreme privilege stand in the gaps to take the arrows from those on the outside who are coming to harm the reputations and the lives of those who have been marginalized. Part of equity is this. If you have been privileged, cis white straight dude, it is up to us to take the arrows so that those who have for so long been forgotten and marginalized by those who are coming to marginalize them again, hold spaces open for them. Here's what Peter says. He says, Joel, the prophet wrote about what is happening here today. He says, God said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all kinds of people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. At that time, I will pour out my spirit also on my male slaves and my female slaves, and they will prophesy. What Peter is telling them is this. He's telling them something that they have been told since they were little. Remember, they were at this celebration where they were rehearsing verses from what we now call the Old Testament that they had been taught since they were little kids. And he was referencing back to a story out of the book in the Old Testament called Joel. It's a story that they had been told probably countless times from this prophet who had said that there is going to be this time uh, that all the people who were there and would criticize people would know exactly what was going on. Peter wasn't giving them new information. He was reminding them instead of something that God had been telling them from the beginning that should have been part of their soul language. He was quoting a passage out of Joel, but the thing is that in Joel's version, Joel doesn't say like in the last days. What Joel says is that this is the way the world should work, is that people on the margins shouldn't be marginalized. They should be brought in. And when that happens, those who are traditionally considered on the outside in this world that still endorsed slavery, that they would be the ones that we would listen to. That men and women and boys and girls and people who are non-binary would have the words to say that we could listen to and that we would embrace those words. That we would listen to those words. That we would hear those stories. He is reminding them that in a world where that happens, everyone will be able to share about the love that they have felt from God and there will be no exclusions. This spirit that both Joel and Peter are talking about, like I said earlier, is the same word that's really forming a lot of the theme for this month of March. It's this notion of March winds because this spirit is the exact same word that we get our word wind, that we get our word breath from. Uh, It comes from the Greek word pneuma, and it's actually kind of where we get ideas like a pneumatic cylinder, right? Which is a piece of mechanical. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm not a mechanical person. so. But I, what I understand about pneumatic cylinders is that they can push things around using air pressure. And that is exactly what 
uh, Peter and Joel are talking about here, right? Is that there's something that happens when love, this thing that we can't necessarily like put our fingers around and that we definitely can't put in a box happens that moves people to where we start embracing equity fully. In other words, when God's breath shows up on the scene, it changes things and it moves things. It's part of what embracing equity here means. It means that we remind ourselves of this story that is so deeply enmeshed within us that when anyone says anything contrary, when anyone says injustice is okay, or remember the days when everyone wasn't embraced, that that shakes us the same way that Ethel's story about snickerdoodles shook me as a little kid. One of my favorite things about serving here at the venues, one of the things I'm most proud of is that I believe one of our greatest strengths is when we remember who we are in our core. I am reminded of this every single week, by the way, with Students Venue, where Leslie Hines serves as our co-teacher and leader in Students Venue. I am not the leader of the Students Venue. The beauty is that our students hear about faith and love and the Bible, and sex, and relationships, and serving others from someone every single week who is a black member of the LGBTQI plus community. I am so thankful for that, that we can celebrate that. Not just say, we'll tolerate you, but that we celebrate, that we embrace it, that we, when students ask questions that as a white cis straight dude, I have no answer to, that I can shut up and let Leslie lead. I'm super happy for Leslie, by the way. Listen to women. Please know, by the way, that we are working on this. We are not perfect at it. We are moving in the right direction, I believe, but it is hard. It is part of the battle that we face. Our promise here at the venues isn't that we will embrace equity perfectly every time. We won't. We'll mess up. But rather, our goal here is to stumble together, to try to get to equity better together. Those of us that have been given a lot of privilege, let's use it. Let's shut up sometimes. Not to be the hero, by the way, or to be some kind of a get an accolade, but because those voices that have so often been marginalized have so much to offer. They are so good if we will just listen. For those of you that are here today or, on, or online and you have not felt equity in churches, please know that we're sorry. There have been times that I believe that the church collectively and even maybe sometimes here that we have forgotten who we truly are. Our goal here, though, is to embrace you, to embrace your gifts and your talents and your stories and your struggles and your goals and your dreams because we want to hear about how love from you is shaping this world. I love hearing from my students who are trans students, and they say, I get pumped up when I see a trans adult who is figuring out how to live this life of faith 
Because they can make it and so can I. I love hearing from my students who are part of the LGBTQI plus community that if Leslie can walk through the battles that she's walked through, so can I. We love celebrating, and it's a joy to celebrate with our women when they teach and when they lead because they have so much to share and so many things that we can all learn from. My hope for you today is this. I hope that you will know that there is a place here for you. I hope that you know that the Christ in me sees the Christ in you. That it sees you loving people, embracing equity. That you are good, that you are beautiful, that you are worth the time and energy and effort, by the way, for those of us who have been given privilege to become a little uncomfortable. In fact, a lot uncomfortable. My hope is today that you will find an embrace of love that is so deep in your soul that when anyone tells you that you're not worth it, that you know that you are and that you are as shaken by that and as comforted by that as I was when Ethel offered me cookies.